Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats. Hello and welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. My name is Kasha and my guest today is Julian Fennessy, one of the directors and founders of Giraffe Conservation Foundation, the only NGO that concentrates solely on the conservation and management of giraffe in the wild. Julian will be speaking about how much giraffe numbers have declined in the past 30 years due to the impact of dwindling wild habitats and increased human encroachment. He will also tell us about efforts to increase giraffe populations throughout Africa, including translocations and the technical challenges that they pose. Julian, thank you so much for joining us here today to chat about giraffes. No, thanks very much. It's great to get online. Fabulous. You head up the Giraffe Conservation Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what it does? So the Giraffe Conservation Foundation is an NGO which is based here in Namibia, but we've got some offices throughout the continent as well as overseas. And the bottom line is we're there to try and secure a future for giraffe in the wild throughout Africa. My wife and I are both directors uh, based here in Namibia. And the reality is that unfortunately giraffe numbers have been plummeting in some parts of the continent, while in others, it's been quite positive. So that's really a silent extinction that's been going on. And, you know, our job has been to increase awareness, education, and then couple with that, you know, get on the ground and get a little bit dirty in conservation actions, working with governments, NGOs and other partners to try and make a difference before it's too late. You mentioned the sort of silent extinction, and it's really true that there's no sort of big public focus on giraffe conservation as there is with some other wildlife species. What do you think accounts for this lack of awareness, and how are you working to change it? While everyone loves giraffe, I mean, they're the most, probably the most iconic animal in the world. You know, they're the tallest animal. They're on everything from Sophie Le Giraffe, the teething toy, Glen Morangie, who uh, have a uh, the largest stills in the world, they call them the giraffe stills, to Olympics. So they are so recognisable. But unfortunately, the bingos, as we call them, the big international NGOs, haven't really looked at giraffe mm-hmm. as being under threat. And that's why a few years ago, after many, many years of doing a little bit of research on the side, we figured out that the story is not as positive as we thought. So unfortunately, you know, elephant, gorillas, lion, they have this social structure, which is great, that bring them all together and it's more human-like, whereas giraffe have what we call a fission-fusion relationship. So they come together, mm-hmm. go apart. They might have some mates, but it's not as tight bonds. So I think giraffe just sort of uh, never were enamoured as much from the social side and this has really impacted people not doing any research on it and as a result, obviously, not getting the awareness out there that things are going wrong. Is there a lot of research that's being done into giraffe? Is lack of understanding of the species a problem, perhaps? I think um, everything starts with knowledge. And unfortunately, you know, until a few years ago, we really didn't know how many giraffe were out there, where they were, what were the true threats. Increasingly, we're getting more and more information. There's more interest happening across the continent. There's more researchers, both Africans, which is awesome, as well as internationals coming and working together with partners on the ground. So, We're slowly getting more information out there, and this has led to things like developing national strategies. This had never happened before, and now I think we're up to five national strategies, and actually only next week we are developing the first ever CASA, which is the Kavango-Zambezi Transfrontier Conservation Area Regional Giraffe Strategy. So we're getting out there, we're getting the information. Uh, If we know Mm -hmm. how many there are, then we can look at how to protect them better. 
Mm-hmm. The Giraffe Conservation Foundation has done quite a bit of research. And one of the recent things you looked at was the number of giraffe species and how to classify them. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So for the last 20 odd years, uh, on and off, we've collected a lot of tissue samples from giraffe across all major populations in the continent. And working with partners in Zenkenberg in Germany, as well as all the governments and NGOs on the ground, we've figured out that there's four species of giraffe. This was not what was intended. It was quite a surprise to all of us when we found it out a few years ago. And just recently, we published more information using solid genomic level analysis. And this has come out that these four giraffe, which is the northern throughout the whole northern part of uh, Africa, the reticulated up in East Africa, the Maasai, which includes the Thornycrofts, as well as the southern giraffe, they make them up. And more than half of them are here in southern Africa and the numbers are doing really well. And for me and for a Giraffe Conservation Foundation, the, the conservation importance is, is closely linked with these uh, genetic findings because we now know that three of those four species, if they were to be mm-hmm. listed on the IUCN red list, which is the, you know, the guys who say is it endangered or vulnerable, yes. they would be definitely endangered or critically endangered would be three of them. And the one in Southern Africa would be least concerned. So that's super positive down here. But actually, we've got to put the conservation mm-hmm. effort and attention on those up in eastern, central, West Africa. And with that, has got to come some dollars. I mean, that's the bottom line. We can only save Africa in Africa by Africans, but we need the valuable mm-hmm. financial support to make this happen. Absolutely. And then the fact that there are these different species means it's not quite as easy as it would appear to boost those populations. You can't just take Sejira from one part of Africa and just put them into another one without considering the genetic makeup and and whether it is actually the right species. Is that right? Yeah, I know it's correct. I mean, for years, we've been losing biodiversity. And as we all know, we're going into the sixth extinction. If we were now knowingly ignorant to just move giraffe or any animals around without doing a little bit of work behind the scenes, we're the ones who are at fault. So now we know there's four distinct species. So if we're going to pick up giraffe and want to set up a new population, let's say Malawi, what we did in Malawi is we actually, there was about 15 giraffe already living there in small populations. Uh, They'd been wiped out for years, unfortunately, due to, Mm -hmm. you know, local pressures. We got a genetic analysis or a sample from each of them. We analyzed it and we found out that they were South African giraffe. So we went down to South Africa and the very first translocation we did up there was using South African giraffe. So we're using science to help inform appropriately conservation management decisions. Okay, so going back to basics a little bit, can you tell me about some of the threats that giraffe face and why their numbers are declining so much? Unfortunately, giraffe numbers are plummeting in some areas for the same reasons as many other animals. Habitat loss, human population growth, uh, in development, oils, roads, etc., The bottom line is people. There's just too many of us. We've got to stop breeding, I think, is probably the first step. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we need to increase land for agriculture for people. And unfortunately, the agricultural practices are not as good as they should be. So therefore, there's a lot of slash and burn in some areas. So we're losing habitat Mm -hmm. for giraffe and other animals. So that shrinks them down into smaller fragmented areas. So they cannot have their genetic exchange. So the population can't grow as big anymore. If we're going to save giraffe and, and most animals around the world, it's habitat. We need to conserve and preserve large swathes of habitat. And, you know, there's some awesome NGOs and governments out mm-hmm. there doing some amazing work around that. 
and, and our job is to work with them on yeah. the giraffe side. But giraffe have also suffered over the years from disease. Rinderpest through the 1800s caused massive decline in giraffe. I mean, estimates of over 90% of giraffe populations in some area were lost because of rinderpest. So that's been a big factor. We don't know what climate change is truly going to happen to giraffe and, and their habitat. So that's definitely something that's uh, of great concern. And then the bottom line is, uh, you know, people like to eat mm. food. So unfortunately, poaching or illegal hunting, especially throughout East and Central Africa, has caused a massive decline in recent years for giraffe. Okay. That's not really something that you hear a lot about. I mean, you, you hear a lot about rhino poaching or elephant poaching. With giraffe, is it more a case of subsistence poaching for them? Exactly. So that's what it is. It's mm. more that, you know, it's a big animal. Uh, there's a lot of food on it. Mm. And so they call it war fodder. So in times of trouble, you know, especially, say, mm. throughout DRC over the years and then South Sudan, CAR, Chad, large, you know, animals that have got a lot of meat on them have fed literally armies. So, yeah, that's been a big issue. And that's mm. why it's, it's not an issue with something like international trade. Because giraffe is not about, you know, sending yeah. a rhino horn or an elephant tusk. It really is about subsistence poaching and feeding the local market. So things have to be done locally if we're going to try and make a difference on that front. Absolutely. All right. I think a lot of other species that are viewed sort of as an indicator species for the health of the ecosystem, they get quite a lot of attention. Do giraffes sort of fulfill the same function or is it more about just lack of habitat in their case? No, giraffe definitely fill a role of a you know an umbrella or an indicator species. I think uh, if you can conserve the habitat for giraffe, and we do a lot of tracking of them to figuring out how large a landscape do they use and where and how and why at different times of the year. So if we were to conserve giraffe along with you know other large mammals, whether it's rhino, black or white, and elephant, we're really protecting large areas, which is obviously going to have a massive knock-on effect for saving other species. So, yeah, giraffe, unfortunately, yeah, while they've hit the high notes in terms of their size, they unfortunately mm -hmm. uh, have not been something of a priority for many of these traditional larger NGOs. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in terms of the Giraffe Conservation Fund and how it works, you have something called the Giraffe Action Fund, the way I understand it, and that supports a variety of conservation projects. What are the areas that you focus on and what kind of support do you provide? So our Giraffe Action Fund is a pot, for want a better word, that we can dip into when we have some new things happening or they need support. Some of it can be well planned in time. Some of it is actually just quick responsive action. So this has over the years supported everything from helping to develop the capacity skills of wildlife veterinarians working across Africa masters, PhD students to understand specific things in specific populations, all the way through to large translocations. Mm -hmm. You know, in the last five years, I think we've helped governments and other NGOs and working with communities, for example, here in Namibia, to expand the giraffe range by more than, mm -hmm. I would say, six and a half to seven million acres of land in the last five years. So this Giraffe Action Fund is really to help mm. figure out what's going on quickly. It's helped figure out further information about what do giraffe eat, when do they eat, what do they do when you move them into a new area, how far do they move. And importantly, it's got a lot of anti-poaching support behind it. And this is the big thing these days in many areas that 
whilst we're supporting giraffe through the mm-hmm. action fund. It's the knock-on effect to help elephant, buffalo, chimpanzees, wherever we are through anti-poaching support has been invaluable. It can't be thought of as just a standalone. Giraffe mm. is one of the many species in these populations, but, you know, it can play a role as well and, yes. you know, which is fantastic. Yeah. So it's it's equally about habitat protection as it is about actual giraffe. Exactly. In, I mean, in some ways. Yeah, I know for sure. I mean, we need to keep the giraffe still on the ground. That's the most important thing. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> they won't have a future. But uh, that habitat protection is critical. And, and I think that's why we forge lots of really good, solid and collaborative partnerships. That's one of the key things that we do at Giraffe Conservation Foundation is whether it's working mm-hmm. with Ugandan Wildlife Authority or Kenya Wildlife Service, you know, or other governments around the continent. But equally, we're working with African Parks Network or Peace Parks Foundation to help them provide mm-hmm. all giraffe conservation management support in the areas that they manage. And I think this is a great symbiosis that, you know, we bring our technical skills and support and focus on giraffe while they are looking in the bigger picture. It's definitely a growing area, I think, conservation coalitions and throughout the industry and just people focusing on on working together for the greater good. Well, and it's funny you say that. Just like a month or so ago, obviously, I was working with my son in Pinda. And I think mm-hmm. that's uh, a great example of what a conservation collaboration should be. We obviously all come from different backgrounds, but our prime focus is wildlife conservation and the habitat that they need. And we've been trialing new GPS satellite technology um, with the team at Pinda. You know, it's been great mm-hmm. working with Simon Naylor. I mean, we only met a year or so ago, but I think we're two peas from the same pod really in the way we think and how we want to, uh, you know, move things forward. So we've got some technology that's uh, been on for the last month and it's super exciting and all of a sudden we can see how changes in size of units being fitted to giraffe to to understand where their movements are what we're finding in pinda is already going to be used in the next couple of months on populations across africa because it it seems too good to be true so touch wood <laughs> amazing okay so using what you've been working on at pinda as an example can you just talk us a little bit through the concept of translocations? Why are they so important? And for example, the upcoming translocation from Pinda in South Africa to Malawi, why are the giraffe being moved? How were they chosen? Those kinds of details. So a giraffe translocation, you know, is epic. There's no doubt about it. It's, uh, <laughs> it looks great on film. Uh, everyone loves it. But you don't do it just for fun. The whole idea is to restock or augment a population wherever it is in the African continent with giraffe that uh, has become safe and secure, maybe after populations got locally extirpated or extinct because of whatever reasons years ago, whether it's civil unrest, whether it's mm-hmm. poaching, whatever. So with any of these uh, translocations, we spend a lot of time doing a pre-translocation assessment. Often that can actually take years, but normally it's six months to a year. You get on Mm -hmm. the ground of where the giraffe are going to assess all of the impacts, the social, the ecological and the economic impacts around Mm -hmm. bringing giraffe back to it. Are all the resources available? Is it a safe environment? Uh, You have to look at the veterinary side. And and once you've uh, made a decision collaboratively with others, in particular the governments and, and whoever's managing the land, then it's got to find a a host population. Where are they coming from? And so specifically for Majeti, which is in Malawi, 
uh, we identified that Pinder is a great population and, and beyond with Pinder have uh, worked together to be able to uh, catch some of their giraffe to uh, hopefully take up to uh, Malawi soon. So the concept behind why is that they are South African giraffe. So that was the first important thing. They're in really good condition. We work with a game capture unit, Grant Tracy and his team, that are located not too far from Pinda. Mm -hmm. And really it's about this collaboration of expanding wildlife in the continent. And Pinda and, and beyond came to the party and said we would love to collaborate and partner and support this effort with GCF as well as African Parks Network. So it was really quite exciting. I, I really do love bringing all these partners together and we're all on the same page because too often or not, we're, we're a little bit selfish as humans. As this moves forward, you know, the individuals will be caught, they will be put in a boma for a number of weeks mm -hmm. just so that they can calm down and really relax. They'll be getting food um, that's delivered to yeah. them daily. So, you know, fresh brows and whatnot. So it's a little bit like a, a giraffe hotel, so to speak. <laughs> and then they'll start the long haul up. It's about a two and a half thousand kilometre stretch. We've initiated a couple of years ago the very first translocation up there. So this is the second one and probably the last one to go to this population for some time. But it, from my understanding, is the biggest or the longest ground move of giraffe that's been done in Africa. So it's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always, it's always can be a problem. There's, there's uh, you know, things that can go wrong. But by working with professionals and experts, we try and minimize the impact of those things. So, yeah, so translocations, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's hectic. It's amazing. It's thrilling. It's nerve-wracking. It's all of these things combined. And by bringing together, you know, all of the best people, hopefully we're doing the right thing for giraffe conservation long-term by being able to bring giraffe back and grow these populations. Mm. You make that sound really easy, like oh, they're just captured and then moved. But I'm sure there's a lot more log logistics and challenges that, that go into this. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I could probably, I, you know, you always gloss over <laughs> sort of certain aspects. because. But I, I suppose that capture stuff, you know, it, it looks it looks quite hectic at times, but really you know, we use the best methods, the best veterinarians, and, and often it's a chemical immobilization whereby a, a dart with a, a drug goes into a giraffe and each giraffe is individually captured using ropes to secure them down to the ground safely, mm -hmm. put into a little what we call a recovery trailer, and then they're shipped off to a, uh, to a boma or to a truck where they settle down for a while before that move, as I said. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, it's dangerous for the animals, it's dangerous for the people, Luckily, over the last couple of decades, the, the method has got so much better. And, um, you know, now everything seems to move as smoothly as uh, it would for most other species, which is great. Yeah, I mean, giraffe are quite unique creatures. So I can imagine that's quite an interesting thing to do. Yeah, it's madness. They, they, you know, there's, so, there's so many things that uh, when people come and watch and be involved in it, it's... Uh, you know, it's, it's a life experience. There's no doubt about it. But obviously, you know, one has to be careful for all of us concerned. And, mm. and that's at the heart of it is the welfare of both people and animals. Mm -hmm. And then you say the actual move is done by road. Is that sort of the safest way to do it? Is, is it the usually the way that it's generally done? Or there, are there a number of different ways? And, and how do you choose exactly how how the movement gets done. Obviously, each move is uh, is different depending on where you're going and what you're doing. In Namibia, um, lately, there's been mm -hmm. some translocations 
that uh, giraffe have been captured. They've been taken down to the harbour at Walfus Bay. They've been put on a boat. They've been shipped up to DRC by boat, then on the truck, then they go into the new reserve they're going. Mm -hmm. Or if there's little giraffe that have been translocated overseas or taken to zoos or whatnot over the years, many of them have either gone from by a ship for many weeks or they've actually gone in big planes. So there's a, a whole host of way. We don't do it that way normally. We, you know, we don't take these animals too far, although two and a half thousand kilometers is a long way. But by road, it's, uh, we find it, it's the safest. You know, we can stop along the way. We can feed the giraffe. So it works best for us. That's important. It could be short moves, anything from an hour or mm. five hours to, to two days we've done in Niger in the last couple of years. But yeah, three days or so is what it takes to take them up to Malawi from South Africa because you have to go through all the borders and, you know, go through the appropriate veterinary procedures. So everything takes time. You know, this is Africa. Yeah. So you have to have a lot of patience and hopefully, you know, things all turn out the way they should be. <laughs> Absolutely. So what happens once the giraffe arrive at, at their destination? Is there a quarantine period when they arrive? Are they put into a boma to, to adjust or do, are they just directly released onto the reserve? So the ones up in Malawi in particular, we'll take them up. They'll obviously just relax in the truck a little bit and then we'll release them out into a, a boma area that's been created. And that will give them time to mm -hmm. obviously come together as a herd, for want of a better word. They don't have that social structure, but, you know, they're sort of now a bunch of giraffe who have been mm -hmm. moved together, so they know each other quite well. It'll give them time to feed, there's water, mm -hmm. and that boma period can be anything from a, a half a day to a couple of days. And it's really just to see if they're relaxed and settled. There's no science behind it other than getting a feel for it. And mm -hmm. then once it's time, we'll open... In this case, it'll be curtains and yeah. they'll go out and we'll monitor them forever, essentially. So the the giraffe that we took up there a number of years ago, we still every month, uh, there's reporting on them. How are they going? Uh, are there new ones on the way? Touch wood, that will happen soon. But yeah, so it's really important that, you know, the translocation, it's not all the the sexy part, so to speak, of mm -hmm. uh, going and capturing and having mm -hmm. a film team around and, and looking good and all of that. It's, it's really the long-term monitoring to make sure that they are safe and then make uh, the yeah. right decisions for the next translocations based on what we've learned from the previous one. Yeah. How do you actually carry out that monitoring afterwards? Is it just, is it basically a visual process? You go out into the field and check on them or do they have some kind of tags on How's that actually managed? So often we use GPS satellite units to be able to monitor them, mm -hmm. and we're quite lucky. Giraffe are quite tall, so we put them on their yeah. ossicone most recently, and they uh, with a little solar okay. panel, and actually, oh, yeah, wow. they're like their own walking tower, which is awesome. It's <laughs> amazing. So you can sit anywhere in the world, and you can get that data beamed to you. But that's really quite expensive, uh, you know, each unit's like two and a half thousand US dollars just for the unit. And in places like Malawi there, in other places as well, there is local networks. So you, you can run off a cell phone network, so you can just mm -hmm. change the technology inside these units. But most importantly, giraffe have sort of a, their own system. They have individual spot patterns. And so every single giraffe, like your fingerprint, is mm -hmm. unique their spot pattern. We uh, have worked with a whole yeah. host of people over the years and there's uh, 
individual ID software programs like artificial intelligence that you take a photo of a giraffe, you run it through it, and Mm -hmm. it'll tell you if you already have that giraffe, if it's Bob or Susie or Frank or John or whoever. And so monthly, you know, by individually identifying them, you know, you can get a really good understanding of where they are, what they're doing, who are they friends with, etc. So yeah, monitoring is, uh, you know, requires a bit of time on the ground normally from people working in the area, but it's it's really critical to know that they're safe and sound and that hopefully the lion population in some areas is not having too much of an impact. And <laughs> touch wood, uh, nothing so far. Okay, so the monitoring goes on for quite a long time. And as part of that, importantly, how do you measure the success of a translocation? So success, I suppose, can be thought of as short-term, picked up animals, moved mm-hmm. them somewhere, everything is going well and they are living what is perceived to be happy and healthy and creating what we call is a home range, an area that they move in and spend most of their time. Then medium term, we start to see, you know, giraffe have a, a gestation period of 15 months. So, you know, if you can see in the first two, three years that giraffe are starting to breed, then that's another good indicator that they've settled, they've relaxed, and obviously offspring are being developed. Uh, a good example of that is a place called Lake Imburo, it's a national park in Uganda where 15 giraffe were moved. We continue monitoring them. And in the last six years, the population has grown from 15 to 33 individuals today. So that's a pretty good sign of success. And then long term mm. really is that the population is self-sustaining, Absolutely. viable. A lot of people interestingly talk about the genetic side and that there'll be inbreeding and issues like that. I'm fascinated with this a little bit. I'm not a geneticist, but we work with a lot of them. And no one really has been able to tell me what inbreeding is in giraffe. Mm -hmm. So they seem to breed, they produce viable offspring, they're happy, and they seem to to grow up. So we're actually just starting to look at uh, that at the moment, in particular for translocated populations. Are the genes, you know, of the individuals, are they closely related or not? So We've just been setting up programs to monitor that in in different areas. And that will be one of those indicators of success is that in future, if they're, you know, a healthy, there's sort Mm -hmm. of certain genetic tests you can do to see if there's inbreeding or not. But if they seem healthy, then that's great. But in future, you might have to augment Mm -hmm. with a few different individuals to help get new genes into the population. So it's not something that tick, move on, but also, there's a bit of luck in all of this. There's so many yes. giraffe and other animals being moved down around Southern Africa for years. And, you know, little Omar has uh, mm. wanted two giraffe on her, on her plot and now she has 30 and they breed well. One must be careful. <laughs> that's a really, that's an amazing insight into translocations, into monitoring. I think it's really fascinating. Brilliant. Okay, just to round off with, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about World Giraffe Day, which is coming up on the 21st of June. Can you tell us a little bit about this concept? You know, where did the idea come from? What is World Giraffe Day 2021 dedicated to? How our listeners can get involved in it? So World Giraffe Day makes common sense. 21st of June. Do you know what 21st of June is? It is the longest night of the year. There you go. So the solstice. Yeah, yeah, we're the longest Mm -hmm. night. So we often, uh, you know, when we started this concept in 2014, my wife was sitting on a couch and we thought, oh, what's a good day for World Giraffe Day? And uh, I said the 21st of December because I'm an Australian by trade mm-hmm. but living in Namibia. And I said, well, it's the longest day. And she looked at me and she said, you are so silly. 
And uh, that's polite. But basically, she said, there's no money in the Southern Hemisphere. You know, if we're trying to get education and awareness, yes. it's all in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> it's like, oh, very good point. At least we're open and honest about that. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's the longest day or night for the tallest animal. It's a day of appreciation that never happened before. 2014, we kicked it off. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the years subsequent, it's been sort of the largest conservation awareness day for giraffe ever in the world. It really is a day that people can learn more about it. People can go online to various social media outlets we have and others have, learn more about giraffe. There's lots of activities that people are doing around the world. The zoo community has been amazing. And so lots of zoos throughout Europe and North America, they, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they have big days around giraffe day. So that's super cool. This year in particular, 2021, is about the West African giraffe and trying to, uh, you know, make sure there is a future for them. It's a, it's quite an amazing conservation success story in all honesty and hopefully will continue to be. The numbers of giraffe were down to 49 individuals in the whole of West Africa in the mid-1990s. They'd gone missing in so many African countries throughout mm-hmm. the area with the exception of Niger or Niger. So it's one of the poorest countries in the world, yet these 49 individuals with the conservation support of the government and local international NGOs, now sits at over 600 individuals. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. It's truly amazing. That's huge growth. It is brilliant. It's an average of 12 to 13%. They only live in and amongst people. They're not in a national park. So it's Mm -hmm. really been a combined effort of everyone coming together. And a couple of years ago, we set up a new population in Niger in a place called Gadabaji Biosphere Reserve. It used to have giraffe Mm -hmm. 20, 30 years ago, but uh, went locally extinct due to droughts and associated uh, problems around that. And we've moved eight giraffe in there a couple of years ago. And our plan with the support of World Giraffe Day this year is to move some more giraffe, but Mm -hmm. also protect the majority of the population that's uh, in an area, funnily enough, called the giraffe zone. And that's about only 60, 70, 80 kilometers from the capital, Niamey. It's an amazing community-based conservation effort that uh, we've been fortunate enough to be involved for more than a decade. And it's all about partners and partnerships. And, you know, we'd love everyone to stand tall, Mm -hmm. stick their neck out for giraffe on World Giraffe Day. They can donate online through the World Giraffe Day, Giraffe Conservation Foundation website. But as important is tell your friends, tell your neighbours, you know, learn more about giraffe, about their plight. And the more information is out there, the more we can hopefully do long-term to uh, realise that we need to make a difference for this amazing animal. That's amazing. Just in terms, you've mentioned the the website. Do you maybe want to give the web address and maybe talk about any other ways that listeners can support online? I know you've got an adopt a giraffe thing going on and an online shop as well. Yes, you probably know more about it than I do. I'm luckily sitting in the background. <laughs> but giraffe, <laughs> giraffeconservation.org. And then we have a Facebook, which is similar, and then a Twitter handle, which is save dot underscore giraffe. All of these ways, you know, we have ongoing stories and about what we do and our partners do across the continent. And yeah, adopt a giraffe. So it's a symbolic adoption of giraffe in uh, northwest Namibia, where we've done long-term research. And I, from my understanding, and I sort of have some idea, is the longest uh, running giraffe conservation monitoring program ever. That's just one of the things we just don't have long-term data. There's a whole bunch of giraffe that literally are walking around out there every month. We have our field monitoring team that uh, spot 
these giraffe and all the others and we provide updates to everyone about what's going on where they're moving who's hanging out with who so yeah adopt a giraffe get online and uh, you know this will help you learn more about giraffe give it to a friend it's a perfect present for mid-year or for christmas absolutely fabulous Gillian, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really, really fascinating getting a bit of a glimpse into giraffe and giraffe translocation. So thanks so much. No, thanks a million. It's great to be online and share a little bit with giraffe with audiences out there. So everyone stand tall on World Giraffe Day. Thanks again, Julian. Thank you for listening to Leave Our World a Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about and beyond, please log on to our website at andbeyond.com.